0: Your radio, CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT-FM. Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. And today the focus is on Northern Ontario. Yes, there is such a thing to you downtown Torontonians. Um, it does exist. Uh, and we have two phenomenal representatives of that area on the show to do for, uh, today. França Jalna, who has been, um, she just said like 14 years in October, a member of provincial parliament for Nickel Belt um, and health critic for all of that time. So of course, we're gonna talk about health, um, but also I'll things North, And then in the second half of the show, we have uh, Saul Mamakwa. He's been on before as well. And he's going to talk about First Nations and Indigenous in the North and the issues that they're facing, which we're a little bit more aware of in the South. But again, you know, we need an education here. So let's focus in and of course, continuing what we've been doing on the Radical Reverend show for many months now. We're also going to be looking at activism and what works and sometimes what doesn't. Um, to actually get laws and policies changed in government. So, Franz, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. It's so good to see your face again. Oh, it's a pleasure to see you, Sherry. I missed you every day at Queen's Park. Oh, I miss you too, Franz. <laughs> you are like a voice of reason and calm. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 14 years. So, first of all, let's start with the new regime there. Um, what's, it, what's different, you know, what's similar? To the last okay time. give uh sherry sorry give me one sec one sec. no problem no problem um yeah speaking i'm on the zoom call
1: by, see you later bye.
0: <laughs> the joy the joys of working at home and from yep. home <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> great so yeah so so what's what's it like now with that crew across the aisle from you it's really
1: really different when we first started uh there was like from our lobby, you can hear the opposite lobby, and it was like the big rah rah, like they were walking into a football game. And when I say uh, <laughs> uh, NDP, you all clap. When I say uh, the workers, you all sh- chant, and it was like really, really weird. It was like, yeah, you—they were sitting in the bleacher at a, at a football game, cheering on, <laughs> cheering on their premier. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was weird. There was also a lot of, uh, there's always some banters going back and forth uh, from one side of the aisles to the other, but some of it was really focused. Uh, we have members of the LGBTQ in our caucus. We have members of the Black Caucus in our caucus. Um, uh, and uh, uh, some of the, uh, uh, the things that were said were quite hurtful and um, quite narrow-minded, quite hurtful, and I would say the transition was really difficult. Um, It was, uh, yeah, the lack of respect, the lack of decorum, the lack of uh, um, all all of this uh, does not lead to good democracy and does not lead to uh, Queen's Park making good decisions and looking after the people of Ontario. So all of that was really tough to adjust to. Uh, uh, since uh, COVID, uh, there are uh, restrictions as to how many MPP can be in the chamber at once. So now that there are less people, uh, the tone has come down a bit. And uh, uh, through working through the, I would say, uh, with open-minded people on all sides of the aisle. We were able to tone down a bit the rhetoric, uh, especially toward the LGBTQ members of our caucus, as well as the visible minority members of our caucus who were uh, targeted whenever they stood up and uh, making them realize how hurtful uh, this is. and, And the precedence it sets for everybody else who is a visible minority and everybody else who's a member of the LGBTQ. And uh, so things have changed a bit for the better, but it took a ton of work (laughs) to get there. And the pandemic helped, if you want, in the sense that uh, there's less of us at Queen's Park uh, in the chamber at once. Um, So um, there's there's less people talking at the same time, simply because there's less of us. Uh, We have to maintain two meters
0: between every MPP when we're in the House now. Speaking to France, uh, Jelena, member from Nickel Belt in the North, um, and just speaking about the changes at Queen's Park, of course, um, you know, one of the things that's shocking to me looking from the outside in is, you know, we sat next to some of those people, France, when they were in opposition. Uh, People like Christine Elliott, who signed on to LGBTQ bills that I, you know, got passed. (laughs) Um, and, and I look at them now, especially the women over there, Sylvia Jones, you know, with Christine Elliott, who were intelligent, had something going for them, and watching them clap for Doug Ford. Uh, uh, I mean, this it's somewhat shocking to me. I mean, do you interact with them? That's the other thing that I'm not seeing is a lot of, you know, kind of interaction. I mean, we used to like go for lunch, you know, on were committee together, work together. You know, it was relatively friendly what's what's the atmosphere like now with those people who were again sitting next to us just uh, a few years back
1: oh many many uh, of them have uh, have been there for as long as i've been there 14 15 years uh so i would say uh there is no more gathering because of COVID. Uh there is no more gathering there is no more reception at queen's park Uh, If you're not an MPP or work for an MPP, you're not allowed inside Queen's Park because of the COVID protocol. Um, So there's no gathering ever. Uh, But there is still, um, if I go and sit down uh, next to a minister or next to a person that I've worked with for years, uh, the connection is still there. The human connection one-on-one has stayed uh, and is uh, and is beneficial to all. Like I, c- I can explain things. Uh, they will do follow up. They will get back to me. I would say most of them are open to that. There are a few exceptions. All the times that are ultra partisan, and you're an NDPer, therefore I can't talk to you. When really we are both representing. <laughs> I'm representing the people of Nickel Belt. You are representing the people. Of, uh, of your writing and if we work together, things would go better. Most MPP uh, understand that. Some are ultra partisan and won't go there at all. Uh, so, But uh, I would say most of the ones who were there before, uh, that have sat in oppositions before, are open to talking one-on-one. But then if I rise up in the House and ask the exact same question, <laughs> I
0: will I will get a very different answer. Well, at least that's better than one hopes. Uh, Let's talk about the North. Let's talk about Nickel Belt and what are the big issues? Uh, One of the biggest
1: issue is the opioid uh, and the uh, amount of overdose. Um, We are a community, Sudbury is a community of about 180,000 people, and we have a minimum of two deaths per week uh, from opioid overdose. Uh, We have a very strong group of people that have been asking for a supervised consumption site for uh, downtown Sudbury uh, for years now. And um, we're still at ground zero. We still haven't got the uh, government of Ontario signed off. Uh, The the mayors and council, the health units, the hospital, everybody who works in mental health and addiction, Certainly the two MPP, myself and Jamie West, who is the MPP for Sudbury, have signed off and it sits with the Ford government, and there's still no um, check mark as in they agree to give us permission. <laughs> Never mind giving us resources to do that. We won't even go there. We just want the permission uh, to do that. Our chief of Police have signed off. Um, it is just, just sad. We have a beautiful park downtown Sudbury called Memorial Park. It is a park that was done in memories of veteran and uh, it is it is now an encampment. It is full of tents uh, from homeless people. The Unaffordability affordability of housing is a real thing in the north um, we're calling for minus 20 feels like minus 28 tonight and there are people sleeping outside in a tent downtown uh sudbury in in memorial park and i would say not a week goes by that there is not a death um, we have uh, um, a theater center uh, downtown sudbury that has a beautiful uh, gardens and grounds in front of the theater center. And it is now has been taken over as a memorial. There is a white cross uh, that is added every time uh, somebody dies of an overdose in in Sudbury. And um, at last count, we are at 255 um, crosses uh, that represent people who, family who have agreed uh, to put across, to send a message uh, that the opioid overdose crisis is real in the north. Um, right now, somebody who um, says that they want help, uh, they, uh, they will be put on a six to 18-month wait list before they can talk to somebody to help them. I don't wish harm upon anybody, but we all know what will what can happen during that six to 18 months wait before you get to speak to somebody who will help you with your addiction. Um, So we need help in the North uh, for mental health, for addiction, uh, for um, keeping people alive. And we know that a safe supply as well as a supervised consumption site would go a long way uh, to help um, people who are uh, facing addiction right now are asking for it. People who have overcome their addiction and trying to help others are asking for it. Um, we are now uh, paying for ads on television uh, to promote the need for that in uh, Northeastern Ontario in Sudbury. But yet there is no um, answers coming back from Queen's Park. And, uh, and, and that's really,
0: tough and really hard to live with so to go back to uh your uh, discussions with christine elliott your counterpart across the aisle uh in health uh what does she say about that what what's the response
1: it is uh michael Tibolo who handles the uh, mental health and addiction file um, it's not christine so she refers me to michael Tibolo. i have had many conversations with Minister Tibolo, uh, so have many of my my caucus members from from Northern Ontario, and it's, uh, oh yeah, it's coming, and uh, we need more info, and uh, did such and such, give their support, and it's as if, like, if they can find one person in Sudbury who is opposed, then that's the reason to do nothing. It doesn't matter that public health or hospital um, everybody who works in mental health or chief of police or our uh, counselors in uh, the city of Sudbury passed a motion. It doesn't matter that all of this, if they can find one person in Sudbury who says anything against it, it's a reason to not grant. It, it drives me nuts.
0: I would imagine that many of the folk that are living in the encampments are Indigenous. Um, uh, and, and with the rise in consciousness about Indigenous issues now across Canada, Um, is does that not help I mean it's shocking it's shocking
1: it it is discouraging uh, yes Um, if you look at uh, uh, the number of people facing addiction uh, who get often gets in trouble with the law will get picked up by police Um, we have uh, about 10% of the people in Sudbury nickel belt who are indigenous and uh, but yet they will make like 60% of the people in jail. They will make 50% of the people in the encampments. They they make up a good proportion of people who need help. We all know why they need help. We all know about the intergenerational trauma. Um, I, you can go there and speak to people who were in residential schools who lost their brothers and sisters and are you know, like having to relive this trauma to be able to qualify for a few pennies coming from, from the federal government. And, and yet um, when the province could and should do something to help them, all we get are delay. There's no new resources coming our way. Um, you know, like they're supposed to be uh, $1.9 billion from the provincial government in the next 10 years for mental health and addiction. This is matched by $1.9 billion coming from the federal. We're talking big money here. $3.8 billion in in mental health and addiction is a game changer for for Ontario. It's a huge amount of money, but yet that money is not flowing. It's It's as if like... This is a promise for the next 10 years, and it will happen in the ninth and a half year. Um, I, I want it to happen now. You've made that commitment. The money from the Fed is flowing to the province. Let's make it flow to the people of Sudbury uh, and 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 let's save lives. It's as simple as this. We all know that between now and this weekend, there will be another overdose death in Sudbury. It happens every day every week and and sudbury is not that big of a community
0: speaking to france gelena she's the member of provincial parliament for nickel belt and has been for 14 plus years now um speaking about some of the issues that the north is facing um it's staggering to those in toronto i mean we've seen encampments cleared here where the weather is much milder by comparison um and uh and of course it doesn't really work because a lot of those people just move tents somewhere else Um, but because there's no shelter space but up there I mean it's stark I mean you can freeze to death correct
1: (laughs) correct and and last week we they found somebody who died from the elements How, how could it be this is Ontario in 2022 and you have people who died from exposures to the elements in in downtown Sudbury this is uh, this is a pretty sad state of affair when we do have uh, some buildings that are that could uh, be used as shelter, uh, but yet there is um, yeah, there is no willingness, there is no uh, resources to make that happen.
0: Uh, let's talk about COVID. Uh, you're the health critic um, for the NDP at Queens Park, the official opposition. Um, what's happening in the north in terms of covid omicron has that uh has that made its impact there and and what's response been like there
1: um so if you go back uh we first identified omicron i think on october twenty eighth november twenty eighth uh in uh, in ontario um the uh, third wave of uh the uh, uh, the pandemic was in full swing. Uh, we were, in, in my riding, in the public health area called Sudbury Manitoulin, we were the one who were rating the highest uh, percentage uh, case uh, in community transmission, really, really high in our community. Our, our public health had uh, put measures in place specifically for our area because uh, um, although we did pretty good in the first and the second wave, um, the third wave this fall was just uh, horrible. We have a lot of older schools where a lot of kids in small uh, classroom with poor ventilations and all the rest of it. Uh, the kids would spread it, bring it to their homes. From the homes, it would go to the workplace. It was everywhere in the community, and and yet. <laughs> when the government announced the rapid antigen test, the rat test would become available, there was not one distribution site in all of Northeastern Ontario, zero. I had a two-hour (laughs) argument with Sylvia Jones, who, uh, the Solicitor General, who finally agreed to make one shipment to one LCBO in Sudbury. Um, that shipment arrived within not even an hour, it was gone. And that's all we got for the entire, f- that that was it, that was all. Uh, we didn't have any pop-up. We did not have any uh, access. But for some reason, you can go to any shopper's drug mart and for $180, you can have five little tests available. They seem to have endless supply in <laughs> Northern Ontario, but only if you have $180 to be able to afford this, which... For lots of people, this is not something they can afford in the middle of a uh, fourth wave of a pandemic uh, when they haven't been working or have had to stay at home because the kids are at home with uh, online school and and all of this jazz. Uh, So it's uh, a lot of people feel like we have been forgotten. How could it be that we... At the beginning of December, we were the highest community transmission in the entire province. And when they bring up a new tools to help in that um, fight against the pandemic, that new tool is not available to the area of the province that is the highest community transmission. Um, so it, it made for a lot of people. First, it was like they could not believe that this was happening. Um, then it's like. How could that be? And then it's anger. And right now it's easy to get angry. I mean, we have, every Ontarian have faced that pandemic for almost two years now. We all want it to go away. We want all want our life back. And then when we see the government that does things that are discriminatory against people from the North, Northerners have one more reason to be angry and nothing good comes of that, nothing.
0: I guess that's why uh, talking about Shoppers Drug Mart selling uh, rapid antigen tests. Uh, um, you know, there's the hashtag on Twitter now: Shoppers dug Mart. <laughs> so, so there is that. Um, shouldn't laugh. I mean, it's it's horrendous. Um, I mean, that's it's shocking. Uh, one of the one of the things we've been doing on the Radical Reverend Show over the last few months is is talking on a positive note about activists who've actually made an impact on policy and, and laws. And I'm, I'm wondering that in your long years of political life at Queen's Park, you know, what are the names that kind of jump up at you when you think of successful activists, activists who have worked um, to make policy change and laws change, whether successful or not, hopefully successful occasionally. Um, anybody come to mind France?
1: Oh, many, many um the first one that comes to mind is a nurse called nancy johnson Uh, nancy was a nurse specializing in uh, health and safety and um, she um, she also got involved with uh, the uh, um, family council in long-term care for our area Uh, she became co-chair of the norton uh, family councils for all of the long-term care homes in in Northeastern Ontario and uh, with her knowledge and with she's just a super nice person. <laughs> um, she was able to uh, um, push for um, PPEs, good personal protective equipment for the people who worked in long-term care. Um, uh, she knew the difference between an N95 mask and a surgical mask and when it should be used and all of this, as well as uh, giving um, um, residents' Council a voice uh, and that voice was really to push so that they would continue to have access to a primary caregiver because you will remember be- during the first uh, wave of the pandemic, they shut down uh, long-term care homes completely, which means that our loved ones in long-term care could not gain access to, uh, to their family members, to their primary caregivers, to their friends, to, uh, to anybody. Um, uh, she was really good at putting arguments together. Uh, I certainly shared all of those arguments that, that she put together uh, with uh, the minister in, in charge at the time, the Minister of Long-Term Care, and as well as the Minister of Health, and uh, her yeah, her activism was always really well grounded, really well spoken. Uh, she rises her voice just when she needs to. When it is uh, uh, the rest of the time, she she tries to bring people together and, and try to educate and move them all in the in the same direction. Um, she has done. Uh, she has done a tremendous amount of work and I would say a lot of it has paid off uh, because of her pers- persistence and her clear communication. Uh, she is, uh, she's still very, very much involved. She's retired um, uh, as a nurse now, uh, but she's still very much involved in, in everything that has to do with uh, uh, protecting our loved one in long-term care.
0: I assume that long-term care got hit very hard up there as it did everywhere. Um, in terms of COVID, is that the case, Pros?
1: That was the case, yes. During the first wave, yes.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is a, this was a woman, obviously, who was like very hands on. Does anybody else like jump up at you over your years of act, in terms of successful activism?
1: Oh, there there are many people that are uh, that are working hard with different issue. Um, we have uh, um, a his name escapes me right now, uh, but really dedicated to uh, organ donations. And uh, through his son uh, needed an organ transplant, and so he became very aware as to how this system works. And a big part of the system is to make sure that you have people who identify themselves as a willing donors um, in in time of death. And uh, I'm really proud to say uh, that three areas of my riding, the area where he lives, in and around Coniston, um, the area around Lively, and anyway, there are areas in Northern Ontario have the highest rate of people who have identified themselves as donors. So on their driver's license, on their health card, uh, they have identified themselves uh, to to be a donor. And, and it comes from the work of this one dedicated man who did the work on the ground and, and organized rallies and organized marched in the summer so that everybody would take part and everybody would understand. And, and then he would ask, okay, you have to go tell uh, five of your family members now to, and it worked and it worked. We have uh um, in Ontario, we tend to be at around 30, 33% of people identify themselves as donors. Uh, and in certain parts of, of my writing where he has worked, we're as high at 75%, 78% of the people um, have uh, identified uh, that they want to be a donor. Uh, so, uh, well done. And he's also worked with me on bills to make uh, soon consent. And uh, you remember when uh, Peter Carmos was uh, uh, our colleague that that was one of the bills that he was pushing forward. I continue on his uh, the anniversary of the death of Peter Carmos. I always reintroduce that bill. And as much as I used to have a ton of pushback, I don't have pushback on that bill anymore. Uh, the work has been done, the education is being done. Other countries and other provinces, such as, uh, uh, Nova Scotia's have adopted assumed consents, uh, so those are all positive steps uh, that um, that have an impact on the entire province. That comes from one activist uh, giving up of his time and dedicating his time and his
0: voice. Uh, hopefully, that bill will pass this next time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hopefully. What's, hopefully. what's the move With- at Next Park? Because that's been yeah. on the table for forever, right? I mean. My goodness. So, uh, I,
1: I think Peter Cormos first introduced it in, uh, I think, 1996. <laughs> he first introduced it.
0: Well, hopefully this year is the year that we actually do something <laughs> done on that. Speaking here to Fall uh, Jelena, of course. So uh, she is the MPP for Nickel Belt and uh, been at queen's park for quite a long time now 14 plus years um and is the critic for health and has been the critic for health we're talking about successful activism on on the grassroots level but it just goes to show how how that can how that can work that can work to change opinion um just at that level which is really phenomenal um so just finally to wrap up for us we just have like you know, minute and a bit left. Um, if you were Minister of Health tomorrow, after June second, Franz Jelena is the Minister of Health for Ontario. What would be the first couple of things that you would do?
1: Oh, I would say as much as it's not being talked about very much, uh, PharmaCare is still something that we need to have. There are still way too many people who do not have access, uh, and and those are having dire consequences. On on their health, uh, so pharmacare is still something that that has to come uh, complete the vision of of uh, Tommy Douglas and make sure that pharmacare is included. Um, I would say working on mental health and addiction, um, our mental health and addiction system. The there was always a lot of discrimination against people with mental health and addiction. As a society, we have changed. We have changed for the better. We understand that those people are sick and they deserve and need care. It is now up to the province to provide that care in a way that is accessible to them and geographically equitable. Because right now where I live in Northern Ontario, there is very little to access. More people are now willing to say, I need help with my mental health. I need help with my addiction. But then all they face are long line up of, uh, of wait lists uh, to, to gain access. Uh, and then primary care. We uh, we still need access
0: to primary care, but it's a pleasure to see you. <laughs> yes, well, it's lovely to see you too, Froz. Thank you so much for this. Uh, for you out there in listener land, do stay tuned. Uh, next up is Saul uh, Mamakwa, uh, indigenous critic uh, for the official opposition. Stay tuned. The sound of your city. CIUT 89.5 Toronto. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT-FM. Welcome back to the Radical Reverend show, and I'm so delighted to have this show all about the North for a change because, you know, down here in the deep south of Ontario, we don't hear a lot about that, and our mainstream media doesn't cover it very much. I'm delighted to have on back again Saul Mamakwa, uh, who is a member of provincial parliament here. At Queen's Park, uh, first term member of Kingfisher First Nation uh, in the North, and the member for Kuwetuing. So, Saul, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show.
2: Uh, Sherry, I thank you for having me here again. It's good to be here.
0: So, let's start talking about what the issues are in the North. What have you been seeing? What, what is top of mind in your community?
2: Yes, I think uh, certainly uh, being from the north and uh, a lot of uh, representation. Like uh, my writing is uh, predominantly a um, you know Indigenous people, and um, uh, there's uh, 31 First Nations that I represent, and uh, for small municipalities. So um, you know the the, the way of, the way we do things that are very different, very from a very different lens, and uh, being a provincial member uh, certainly. Um, there's always uh, governments play that jurisdictional ping pong on the health and the lives of people, right? So, so I know right now, uh, the issue that's uh, hitting the community is, you know, uh, the First Nations is the, uh, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> um, of course, the, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the people are getting sick uh, because of the, you know, COVID-19 and it's, uh, um, this particular community is just really hitting in uh, very high numbers, and we're at oh, like uh, at 50% of the population, and it's uh, it's really uh, because we have to understand too. Uh, um, you know, at um, um, and the uh, and the other uh, wave uh, in the, in the springtime, you know, they lost community members due to COVID, and so uh, I can sense uh, you know uh, how uh, scared they are. I can sense how um, you know. Uh, People are feeling, and I've talked to some of them uh, directly, and it's it's scary for them, and uh, and you know they're being forced to isolate in homes, uh, whereby you know they have isolated and quarantined in homes, whereby you know it, there might be a negative there, there is a, neg- you know, a negative you uh, know negative you know result of a test, COVID test, but but they have to go in there with positives, so which means you know. <laughs> They're forced to because there's no isolation center, right? Like, uh, so they're forced to kind of, you know, they're, you know, it's just governments are just kind of taking a gamble on the health of, of their lives and gambling on the health and their lives just to, you know, okay, you have to isolate them because they have no place, and so that's why the, the numbers are just increasing. And uh, you know, uh, I was talking to this uh, young, uh, you know, young uh, grandma, and you know, like her name, Matod. Uh, grandson was, you know, had COVID, and they're struggling, right? So when you quarantine, they can't do stuff, right? Like get water, get food, you know, uh, get. Like we have to understand, like in the north, we still use uh, firewood for to for wood, like a wood heat, and you know, and it's just, uh, you know, uh, they can't get wood, and uh, so, yeah.
0: Sounds. Uh... It sounds unbelievably bad. You're saying 50% infection rate and and deaths in the community. Um, So, so, you know, we hear, especially from the federal government, but also from the provincial government, that they've... So, for Indigenous communities, that they, you know, they're supposed to be getting special attention. Um, uh, Have you been getting booster shots, rapid tests? Have you been getting any of that? What does that look like, that delivery system?
2: So, um, uh, as you know, um, you know, uh, uh the the first shot the first and the second shot they were um you know first nations were a priority but also the booster shot so um they're very lucky um they're very lucky that uh you know that this community uh this first nation of uh, bearskin lake uh, uh has uh you know uh, uh you know uh, their response to uh the booster shot and uh, the second shot they uh, that uh it was pretty high like uh uh there were uh, there were lots of people that came out for it so i think uh, like uh, the, the mother the grandma i spoke with and you know like you know like i have these uh symptoms and i think it, it's really really helped me and she was encouraging everyone get your shots you know like if you get sick and you know like they, and so so that's, uh, that's a really uh, uh, an interesting, uh, you know, uh, and then I think uh, they, they have people, teams coming in that will do the test, like they have te- testers on on the ground as well. And uh, so gets because gets, they have their own, they have their own uh, process of, uh, you know, how they restrict uh, community travel and uh, about two weeks ago, I was on a call with the uh, I think it was 23 First Nations um, that, you know, uh, that is serviced by called First Nations Health Authority. And I didn't even expect this when I was on a call. It was about a two hour call and they were uh, talking about uh, uh, the increase of positive cases in First Nation flying communities, right? So right away, they made, at the end of the day, they made a decision to have their own regional lockdown you know limiting uh, tra- uh limit limiting uh to essential travel or only right so it could be medical travel uh you know like um, and it's uh, because that's how how this this is how these um, you know covid-19 is when they get access to like whether it's Thunder Bay so or Winnipeg Kenora that's where it comes from right so uh, that was way before uh, Doug Ford made a decision to, uh, uh, you know, have this, uh, uh, you know, uh, stage two uh, kind of lo- uh, lockdown, right? So, but yeah, it's uh, and and that's what they did. Like they're protecting their communities, and I think we have to understand they do that because they want to protect uh, their uh, their community members, their uh, elders, uh, you know, their ch- children. Because again, uh, there's such a limited access to healthcare in the communities. So.
0: But you have said that there's this high rate of transmission and there's still cases, despite the high rate of vaccination, right? Um, yes. So, yes. So, so how, like firewood, basics of life, um, food, you know, um, so how is that? What's happening there? Are you getting help to deliver or, you know, what's the, is, What where's the government in all of this?
2: Um, I think to this day, uh, you know, like they don't. The government uh, hasn't responded. Whereby they have boots on the ground, and uh, there's a neighboring community of uh, in BEARSKIN, uh, They have uh, kind of like a winter road access to this other First Nation. It's about maybe eight kilometers away. Uh, for the fast, past uh, few nights, past few days, they've been delivering uh, uh, firewood from a neighboring community and it's all cut already, like, you know, like they delivered to each of the homes and it's coming from a neighboring First Nation. And I think that's, uh, you know, that it was just so, so amazing to see. It was just so amazing to be able to see that, uh, you know, how, um, you know, neighboring First Nations come together. And not only that, like, um, you know, there's another uh, uh, neighboring uh, First Nation called Kitsinamek-Supininovac, which is Big Trout Lake. You know they had 27 uh, skittles with sleds with supplies, food, to support the First Nation, and uh, that was on New Year's Day. And uh, New Year's Day was minus 37, and I don't know what the wind chill was. there was 20, you know, 27 skittles that went across. Like I don't know how many kilometers it was. It might have been around 100 kilometers, you know, and. And then they went through and that's what they did. And, uh, you know, like that just showed uh, so much of the uh, uh, so much of the, you know, how communities are coming together uh, when governments do not respond. And, uh, you know, like even like uh, some of the donations that are happening, like neighboring First Nations, they're having these donation drives. Um, You know, there's one community that, you know, raised over fifty thousand dollars to help the First Nation and TO GET WHATEVER SUPPLIES THAT THEY NEED BECAUSE THERE IS COST TO IT RIGHT AND THEN uh, SO um, I'M ACTUALLY GOING IN THERE TOMORROW I'M DOING A QUICK uh, DAY TRIP AND THEY ALLOWED ME TO YOU KNOW uh, FOLLOW ALLOWED ME TO VISIT uh, I MEAN uh, I MEAN I'M A REPRESENTATIVE FOR THE, uh, the uh, YOU KNOW THE COMMUNITY AND uh, I LIKE OBVIOUSLY WILL BE FOLLOWING THE PROTOCOLS THAT THEY HAVE AND I THINK uh, SO I I, I I just want to talk to people. Like, I won't be able to go inside and talk to people, but it will be mostly just outside, and it's going to be cold. And, you know, it's just amazing on how um, the First Nations and the North have come together. And uh, not only that, uh, there's another lady, uh, Tanya Cameron, uh, you know, like, she's from Kenora area, and she, you know, fundraised, and, uh, you know, like, people across, like, on uh, social media posts or whatnot, um, we are getting donations from everywhere and uh, it's uh, and it just uh speaks of uh, i always talk about you know what this is what nationhood comes looks like this is what uh you know when we are allies that's what it looks like this is what allyship looks like but also unity when we talk about unity and uh, when uh, a first nation like that is struggling like that and um and that's really um uh, and it, it, it's very encouraging when we see that. and when governments do not respond.
0: And and uh, speaking here to Saul uh, Mamakwa, who is uh, First Nations and in, uh, Indigenous MPP at Queens Park. Um, I mean, it's inc- incredibly encouraging, Saul, to hear about First Nations coming together. But but I mean this this. It's sad that you're on your own and that the government is not responding and that they don't have boots on the ground and that they're not there um, in any real way to help you. Um, This is your first term at Queens Park. Um, It must be quite a culture shock to be there for you Um, talk about that what has it been like for the last you know three and a half years Uh, you've been at Queen's Park and of course most of that has been during COVID so it's different but but what's you know what were the surprises for you and what did you what did you expect and not expect
2: Um, I think um, uh, you know coming in uh, when I first came uh, you know like I knew I was coming into a place that was never built for First Nations I knew that But also uh, I knew, what I mean by that is uh, I knew it was a colonial place, right? And I knew uh, as a First Nations person, this place was never built for me. And uh, I think what really, one of the things that really surprised me is uh, uh, I'm given, uh, you know, this platform to be a voice for First Nations people, not just in my writing, but uh, but also for, uh, you know, the North, right? Because sometimes, um, you know, um, sometimes I'll say we are a different Ontario, like uh, that, like uh, as if uh, you know, it's just not we're not part of Ontario on some of the things that we face as First Nations, and I think uh, um, and then I, and then what really uh, um, I think uh, it took me about maybe uh, maybe uh, eighteen months, maybe twenty-four months, two years or so to figure out like you know the value of um, you know having that voice in the provincial legislature. Uh, because we've never had that voice and uh, and I think I, it, what really surprised me as well is you know how um, you know uh, first Nations started following provincial politics. and it so it was really uh, you know uh, um, you know, to be able to come up with uh, you know the the truth telling stories that happen that are not supposed to happen and how you know uh, you know, when we continue to play, jurisdictional ping pong on the health of the lives of the, you know, the people, uh, in this province, um, uh, it hurts people. We end up with, uh, you know, uh, um, <clears throat> needless deaths, unnecessary suffering. And we continue to see that, you know, at all levels. And, uh, and I think when we talk about education, when we talk about child welfare, when we talk about water, when we talk about, uh, you know, uh, care and it's uh, when we talk about uh, you know the jail system and you know like that uh, the chronic i shouldn't say chronic I, it's the strategic underfunding for first nations services programs and uh, and i think that's one of the things i uh, really uh, started to understand It's you know how i i see it in action i see colonialism oppression in action and i think uh you know, I know governments like to talk about programs and services. And I know the programs and services come and go. You know, governments come and go as well, provincially, federally, they come and go. But nobody talks about the fundamental changes that are needed in these communities where we talk about self-determination, self-governance, sovereignty, sovereignty in land claims, for example. And that's how without talking about those that uh, that cycle of oppression, colonialism still continues. And uh, we should not be able to, we should not be afraid to talk about those. And I think that's one of the things I've learned since I've been here. And uh, you know, like how, 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 how it works. And uh, I see it in action in front of me when uh, they continue, governments continue to announce programs and services because programs mm-hmm. and services are just uh, uh, incremental change. And uh, I, I've learned that over the years that incremental change perpetuates the, the crisis in our communities, uh, but it makes them look like as if they're doing something without really doing anything. That's why that I thank you very oh,
0: Thank you for that. Uh, so Makwa <laughs> here. Um, a member of Provincial Parliament, um, First Nations uh, representative. Um, so we just had an announcement from the federal government about the settlement in the courts um, for you know victims of residential schools. Um, so we had that on one hand, and then we also hear you know um, talking about land that they you know mining uh, permits are still being given, forestry permits still being given on on contested land. Um, uh, so all of these announcements like what will will they make a difference uh will the forty billion dollars whatever the federal government just announced will that make a difference in your community?
2: I think uh that's a, uh, that's a step towards uh, that's a step towards uh, making a difference a, a pathway to making a difference and um, again uh, and I think uh, it goes back to the actual uh, uh, when we talk about transformation of these services, like I think that's the work that needs to be done. We need to be able to run our own affairs, run uh, the way we want to run things. And I think, uh, uh, certainly, I think uh, uh, I was listening to some the uh, the announcement as well, and uh, it's a, like it was, uh, you know, governments say the good things, right? Like, they, like acknowledging uh, how um, discriminatory practices were, are, I should say, but also, you know, but that's, you know, um, again, uh, governments will say the good things as well, right? Like, uh, that's how oppression and colonialism works. And uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, um, oppression, colonialism 101, when governments say that, and then they need to be able to follow up with action on those things, right? And I think uh, it will make change. Uh, And I I think, uh it's a step towards change it's not going to happen you know overnight it's not gonna it's going to take some time because i say that because to get to where we are that took you know hundreds of years to get to where we are you know the way we've been treated the way that intergenerational intergenerational trauma of you know residential school the 60s scoop and all the, and the Indian hospitals and everything so so it's, uh, it's it's so it's uh, so it's so uh it's so important that uh you know that that this work begins and we need to be able to do that in every sector of uh the lives of indigenous people in this in this country
0: yes well definitely follow the money make sure it comes because um having been in political life myself i know that announcements of great sums of money um, are one thing <laughs> seeing the check in the mail is another thing you know like
2: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah
0: <laughs> is another thing um and and you know uh, so like what um, I mean when you're when you're talking to like ministers across the the aisle there about the issues are you getting any response like is is there anything positive do you think that that can be got out of this government um, I mean are we're, we're all kind of you know feeling a little bit. Uh, cynical and depressed at this point (laughs) so um, are you getting any response at all and and I guess the other side of that question too is how can settlers like ourselves you know who are living in the big cities in the south uh, who want to do something who want to help you know how can we help because people are not quite sure how to do that so maybe address those two issues
2: yeah yeah I know that uh, I just got off a call with one of the ministers uh, you know just uh, before I got on and uh, you know it it was him reaching out. you know, like, how can we help with water, the water issue? Like, because uh, I have uh, 14 long-term boil water advisories in my riding, And uh, in about, uh, I think on February 1st, uh, this community of Niskanaga, uh, First Nation, uh, you know, will have had 27 years of long-term boil advisory. That's on February 1st. So, and I think, uh you know, uh, and then he was just reaching out like, again. And, and that's one of the things I have been doing is like, I repeat my stories no more, every chance I get, uh, in, a um, in, a, uh, uh, whether it's at the legislature in a chamber and, uh, I, I tell these stories, right. Like, but it's just to remind people how things are and uh, that things are different in Northern Ontario. Things are different in these first nation communities. Things are different in, in the North. So then I think, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, there's, uh, um, um, you know, uh, there's, they got a lot of work to do, to be able to address these issues. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes it's very discouraging. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, there's little things that they do. Again, but uh, not enough to be able to have that effective uh, uh, change that we are needed. And I think, uh, you know, uh, this year, ha- I mean, 2021 has been a very, very interest- interesting year for me, you know, as a polit- like a First Nation politician. I say that because of COVID-19, of course, right? And then uh, not only that, uh, you know, when uh, the two, two, 215 uh, remains of, uh, you know, unmarked uh, graves that were found in uh, Kamloops uh, in, uh, in in end of May, you know, that really changed the trajectory of the thinking of the people about what Canada is about, what governments are about, and the way First Nations have been treated. And I think... Uh, you know, the amount of people that have reached out to me, the amount of people that have, uh, you, know, um, you know, started, uh, you know, whether it's by direct message, whether it's by email, whether it's by calls or, you know, people I bump into on the street, you know, uh, they're really, very supportive. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, that gives me hope. And uh, that gives me hope about uh, you know, hope for change, hope for the better you know, for, you know, because at the end of the day, we want better families, we want better communities. We want, you know, uh, a better Ontario. Uh, We want a better, uh, you know, uh, a better Canada. We want a better society. And I think, uh, um, you know, it's so important to be be able to do that. And I know I'm about, uh, you know, whereby, you know, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. And I think that's the, one of the values uh, I work with and uh, no matter what we do. And, uh, you know, and I think uh, I think uh, writing to your MPPs or your MPs on, you know, on the First Nation issues, whether it's water, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, residential schools, because we still have to search the residential, the 18 residential schools here in Ontario. And uh, we have indeed, I think um, uh, Six Nations is the only one that have started to uh, you know, uh, started to, uh, uh, do the search. And, uh, so we got lots of work in the coming decade, the, c- the coming, uh, years, uh, to be able to, what has happened here in Ontario.
0: Yeah. I'm talking to Sol Mamakwa, um, First Nations, um, Indigenous, uh, member of provincial parliament, um, about, you know, being a First Nations politician in the, in the halls of colonial power. Um, so I want to end on a, on a positive note. I've, I've been doing a series on the Radical Reverend Show on um, successful activism. Um, activists who've really put themselves out and got somewhere like changing policies, doing something on the ground, changing laws even. Um, when I say that, that those words to you, who, do you have a, an image? Do you think of some, somebody in your community who comes to mind? Um, is there you know, an example of successful activism that you can point to from, from your community?
2: Uh, There's so many people that uh, I've been able to meet, um, you know, um, like uh, children, like they don't say much. Like it's just, it's just so, uh, you know, like I I think that my, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, the hope that I talk about comes from the children, comes from the elders where my writing is, but also like others, others that I'm able to meet because of my role like whether it's former MP, mps uh you know uh you know former uh national chiefs or you know there's people that i've been able to work with and i think um you know there's this one kid uh we were up in the Scandaga and um and uh this kid is uh, i think uh, uh six years old and uh, uh i went up there uh, uh, with uh, Jack Me to listen some of the stories, and uh, I remember his grandpa was talking to us, making a presentation, and he stood by his grandpa. And uh, and again, this is the place where they have. Uh, <laughs> this is a place where they have, uh, you know, that twenty six plus years of boy- long term boil advisory, and uh, the grandpa holds the mic to the, the his grandson, he's you know five six years old, do you want to say something? And he puts it over there all he said is three words fix the water that was it and you know that that is coming from a five six year old and he knows that they're not be- being treated right and i think that's you know i can't remember the kid's name but those are the kids that they know and I, i've done so so many uh you know uh sessions with uh, elementary high school college university students and Like I think that about a month ago I did this thing with uh, you know grade three grade three and four students about what's happening in the north. They're the change. The youth are the change. That's the movement that we need, and it's so encouraging. And I can't really mention any particular people, but yeah.
0: No, that I mean that's that's so beautiful because it you're right. And you're the first to have mentioned it. We haven't really thought about like little children but of course they're the future they're the change that we hope to see in the world Um, just just to wrap up we just have a a minute or so Um, so what i mean you've got six months left before the you know the election happens and um you know what you know what what are the main issues that you're going to be looking at in your community in the next six months um and again um just to leave people with this in the south um, what can allies do to help with those issues um, right now? And even if there's a, a website or somewhere you can direct us to in terms of donations or anything else, um, because that that message needs to get out, I think, to, to you know, the GTA and to the across the South and to settlers.
2: Go for yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, like there's a lot of stuff, like um, there's so many issues, and that's one of the things why I became, uh, you know, uh, uh, Became involved in politics because I used to be in health, and I, I know we need to be able to address the, the social determinants of health. Uh, I can't really like say for now like I can't really say uh, 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 which uh, you know you know where they can change. But I know there's this. Uh, I'm just gonna mention this. Uh, I know there's a uh, um, a charitable organization called Mikanacos. Let me just spell that out. Um, uh, and that's uh, and it focuses on children in the north, and uh, it's giving them uh, warm clothes and food, right? Uh, let me see. So, uh, it's called Mikinakos Children's Fund. That's M-I-K-I-N-A-K-O-O-S. Mikinakos Children's Fund. It's a charitable organization <laughs> that's started by a First Nation organization, and uh, you know, and that's that's one area, and that focuses on children and uh so it's, it's so important to be able to you know like uh, we have to be able to uh you know provide uh, warm clothes and also food to them right so uh it, it's just so hard to kind of get uh, items into the flying communities as well so yeah
0: yeah thank you so much um been a, a pleasure as always Selma Makwa, mpp um uh first nations and uh thank you and and hopefully now that people have a place that maybe they can direct their attentions to that would be wonderful. Let us know if there's anything else you need. Take care, Saul. Have a good Take day. Take care. Keep Thank on. you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Get the word out by advertising with
2: CIUT. We've got the lowest rates in the GTA. Go to ciut.fm/advertising to get in touch.